Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we have some words about the Hong Kong Film Society Awards. Eric Dunk faces sexual assault rumors again. And our films this week, Along with the Gods and Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk, the original kaiju himself, Mr. Kevin Ma. The original. <laughs> hey there, Paul. Uh, how's it going, everybody? All right. How are you doing, sir? A um, little bit of change because uh, if, if, you know, I haven't even actually updated the notes on Facebook, not that I think a whole lot of people may have seen them, but... Uh, Originally, I was going to plan to talk about uh, the Devilman series, the new Devilman series, Devilman Crybaby, uh, this week as sort of the east-slash-west screen film. I, I didn't know if it was a film. It's actually a series. I think it's like a 10-episode series of like 25 minutes each. Um, but I made a last-minute switch because literally hours ago, um, the new Netflix Godzilla anime movie, Netflix partnering with um, Japan, uh, dropped and I was super excited. And I was like, I got to watch this and I want to talk about it. So um, I got to and watched. We pushed the show back. Thanks to Kevin for graciously agreeing to push the show back a little bit so I could finish that and talk about it today on this episode. And good thing too because um, I'm not a huge Devil Man fan. I knew of the property. I never really got into it. Um, though I did like sort of the original manga art style of um, Going the Guy, the creator. And it's kind of like you know old school manga style, you know, not as old as say, uh, like Astro Boy or anything, but it's got that feel to it. Um, so I kind of dug that and I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And as I was telling Kevin before the show, I, you know, I got two episodes in and I'm like, I don't think I can finish this. Uh, not that it's not good. Um, animation style is very clean. Uh, it's a little bit different than going to guys style, I would say. Um, the characters are really lanky. It's like that's the artistic style they went with. But just in the first episode alone, it's like a 25-minute episode, there was more sexy time in that episode than the entirety of Members Only, the category <laughs> from last year. So, um, And, you know, I've got a little 5-year-old coming in and going out all the time. And even if I'm watching something on my, you know, my iPad, it's like, oh, Daddy, what's that? And uh, it's like, nope, 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 can't. <laughs> can't do that can't nope it's just kind of not gonna work so um i am not not giving it a recommendation um but based on the two episodes i saw it's not really for me it's not i mean it's like a lot of sex sexy time and violence you know demon possession not really tentacle stuff which i guess which i guess some is kind of a subgenre of some anime but really it's just like demons possessing people and you know orgies satanic orgies and, and that kind of stuff and um, I do know the story of the characters, you know, the the main character, uh, Akira and um, Ryo, um, 
you know, his partner. And I kind of know the story behind them and everything. And it looks like from what I've seen, it's a pretty, pretty straightforward retelling of that. It looks doesn't look like they've kind of gone in a new direction. But it is interesting. I mean, here again, Netflix kind of leading the way to challenge Crunchyroll and some of the other anime platforms out there by getting partnership exclusive original content with this. And of course, what I want to talk about a little bit later, which is um, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. But if that, you know, if that is your thing, if you're really into some of the the more adult geared anime, I mean, it's not X-rated by any means, but it's it's definitely category three territory. Um, you know, give it a go and, and, uh, you know, let us know what you think of it. If, if, um, that's something that appeals to you, but please don't, don't put it on your big screen TV when the kitties are around because you think, oh, cartoon anime, devil hero character, right? That should be interesting. No, no, don't do it. Okay. Please don't do it. Um, I'm surprised they don't have disclaimers for stuff on Netflix. I mean, with, with stuff like that, but you know, I guess they figure, we're adults and if we're parents, we got to have parental control, right? Um, So there's that. Uh, Is that something you think you would want to look up at some point in the future, Kevin? Well, isn't there like a, like a 16 plus rating on these type of things? Like there is an age rating on it. Yeah, I think there is, but it's like down under the description. It's not like when you start it, you get the category three logo like they do in Hong Kong movies and you know a police warning. You will be arrested if you are under 18 in the cinema while this is screening or something. Um, you know, you would think that maybe they just would have some kind of a display. You know, dear parents, the following material is going to be, you know, crude, rude and um, lewd. So get your little ones out of the room. Um <laughs> Well, you know, I, I don't usually watch anime, but I think the way you put it, I think I, I'm interested now. <laughs> like you're like tentacle porn and orgies. I'm like, hell yeah! Like I don't yeah. watch anime, but you know, I, I think it. Pre- like, I think uh... I think the Devilman title may predate the tentacle porn kind of thing. Um, but right. it's, it's kind of, of one of the originators, I guess, of of that kind of thing where you get into some you know very adult. Uh, things and demon possession and 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 stuff like that i mean it's not just that there is a story that's being told and um again if you know the story of the two kind of main characters it is an interesting story and and again it looks like it's a straight pretty straight retelling they may throw some twists in towards the end uh but again you know netflix really kind of going forward with this i mean i talked a little bit about this cyborg 009 reboot reboot last year i think and they've got um other original stuff out there like Blame and other things. So they're really putting some interesting stuff out there and putting the pressure on some of these platforms, which are just streaming, you know, uh, purchased content from from abroad. So uh, good on Netflix for, you know, keeping keeping this, this stuff coming because it's, you know, I've got more stuff than I can possibly watch. And it's just piling up and piling up and piling up. So. Well, speaking of which, um, well, I don't, I don't know if this applies to American viewers, but definitely here in Hong Kong and, and probably most of Asia. But um, Takeshi Miike's uh, Blade of the Immortal, which is based on the the hit comic book and starring Takuya, uh, what's his name, Kimura Takuya. Um, yeah, that film's now uh, on Netflix here in Asia, and they claim it as a Netflix original, even though I know it's not because, you know. It was a pretty big, high-profile film. I mean, played in can of competition. So I know it's not a Netflix original. But yeah, um, if you guys are interested... I know in America, there's a different distributor, and it's probably not on Netflix over there yet. Um, although I think it is on iTunes already. 
but yeah, if you guys have Netflix um, elsewhere, you guys could see if you guys have it in your territory. I saw it on a plane, um, uncut, I think, um, and it's a pretty wild ride. So um, yeah, I, I recommend that as well. And the thing you did talk about last week too, the reality show Love, uh, Love, Love Wagon. Love Wagon, yeah. Um, if you're looking for that, I don't think it's dropped yet, but you can search it out on Netflix and you can see the placeholder. They didn't even have any kind of art up for it yet, but they do have the placeholder there and you can, you know, click the plus button and add it onto your wish list, wish list if you want to get that or your watch list. I guess it's a watch list. I'm thinking of uh, Amazon. Uh, if you want to get that added in and get a notification when that drops. Um, so you can just, again, search for Love Wagon. And you should get a notification when that pops up. I should say Love Wagon does not have any orgies. <laughs> and thank goodness first, for that. <laughs> bring, bring that up first. I know the title, you know, the title kind of suggested, but um, I just want to, you know, drew, you know, lower people's expectation for that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, I mean, I've been, I've been watching a couple seasons of Terrace House, and I've yet to see a real Terrace, right? I mean, <laughs> so, it's something with how they name these shows in Japan, I guess, so. All right, um, but we're here to talk about some other things, and you know we're going to throw the ball over to Kevin and let him do what he does every week normally at this time with this week's news. All right, here at the news desk, um, as I said in the intro, uh, Hong Kong Film Society, we're, we're going to have words, <laughs> I think. Although I think you want to, I, I know Paul's very happy, uh, I'm sure. I don't even have to ask. I, we, you know, usually you have a little discussion with a short little conversation before the, 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 the show, and I didn't even remember to ask Paul about this, but you must be happy, Paul. Um, so, okay, Hong Kong Film Society just uh, uh, announced their awards this week. They, they had their big uh, discussion um, at, uh, on Sunday. And, uh, or, or after, as Kozo would say, marathon meeting. <laughs> yeah, it was like an eight-hour meeting, um, apparently. And, you know, as we know, Kozo doesn't speak any Cantonese, and he was sitting in a Cantonese, mainly Cantonese-speaking meeting for eight hours. So kudos to kudos to Kozo. Um, but anyway, after uh, eight hours of discussion, uh, they came up with the following awards. Now, this is going to be, um, as the Love HK film trademark goes, it all goes. It starts well, but then it all goes to hell. <laughs> um, best film uh, is uh, Anhui's uh, "Our Time Will Come." Yeah, sure, sounds fine. Yeah. Um, best director uh, Sylvia Chang for uh, "Love Education." Sounds good. Yeah, great, great. And then best screenplay, God of War. <laughs> uh, best actor, um, God. I forget his English name all the time. Um, Kurara Yasuaki for. Uh, God of War, mm -hmm. and then here's the best part: best actress, Steffi Tang. <laughs> All right, so um, the, for, this but, came, but, but uh, you got to tell them for what, right? Because they're gonna think what Ghosts in the in oh the oh yeah, she like yeah, like three films. Yeah, oh yeah, she like three films. Uh, yeah, it's for Empty Hands, the uh, the Chairman Toe film, which is not, of course, if you had to give Steffi an award, it was gonna be either for Somewhere Beyond the Mist or the Empty Hands, and the Empty Hands is not a bad choice at all. I mean, if it's, I mean. I'm talking about in a pool of free Steffi movies from 2017, not from the pool of performances. Because here we go. Because uh, they do, you know, several rounds of of of, of uh, voting. So um, they come up with a, a nominee, a list of sort of nominee for the five uh, when it comes to the second round. And um, best film, um, uh, Our Time Will Come, Love Education, God of 
War, Empty Hands, uh, and, a, and a very controversial documentary called um, Lost in Flames about uh, a localist um, uh, a lawmaker, or aspiring lawmaker, at least. Um, and then best director was uh, En Hui, sounds fine, Sylvia Chang, okay. God of War, we know they like that film, so yeah, God of Gordon Chan. Uh, Chairman Toe for Empty Hands, okay. And then uh, uh, Karen Pang for 29 Plus One. Um, it still sounds all right, yeah. Okay, uh, best screenplay. Um, the the not the final the final uh short the short term final the short listed finalists were uh, our time will come. Yeah, love education. Okay, God of War. Okay, fine. Uh, Kieran Pang for twenty nine plus one. Okay, yeah. And then Herman Yao for <laughs> Always by Your Side. <laughs> this is already going wrong. Um, best actor. Uh, that was apparently the the the, the, the most difficult category. Um, you have uh, Kurada for for uh, God of War, Msu Hain um, for um, uh, um, in your dreams. Uh, in your dreams, yeah, the Korean love film. You have um, Ling Men Long, uh, who was in um, Tomorrow Is Another Day, the uh, Tear Jerker starring Teresa Mo. Um, Nagase. Um, I never see this bad thing with Japanese names. I look at the Chinese and I don't. Okay, Nagas, uh, Masatoshi Nagase for our time will come. Never mind that it was very, very much a supporting role. Uh, Tenjuan Juan for love education. All right, yeah. So that was the most difficult car- category. Um, of course, act best actor last year was kind of a was kind of a weird category, and the Film Society doesn't usually do um, uh, supporting actor and best actor, so they just put all of them in one, and they decided Kurata, Kurata. But uh, here's a, here are the finalists for Best Actress. And and tell me if you're missing a couple of names here, okay? We have Steffi for Empty Hands, of course. Chrissy Chow for 29 Plus One. Teresa Mo for Tomorrow is Another Day. Karina Lau for In Your Dreams. And um, uh, YC, uh, um, what's her, her English name? Michelle, Michelle Y. Michelle Y for uh, the, the Sleep Curse. Any names that sound like you're missing, Paul? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, like, you know, Dini like, Yip. Dini Yip, yeah, Dini, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Sylvia Chang, like, I mean, literally, Steffi and Chrissy, literally, de- you know, literally beat Dini Yip and Sylvia Chang. Okay, so that sounds a little weird. Well, I mean, um, I, I would say that, no, I, I, not, not to, not to defend the choice, because um, I haven't seen Empty Hands, so I can't. Uh, I can't say one way or the other. Uh, I have seen 29 plus one. I haven't seen Love Education. I mean, if we talk about an actress who's shown considerable growth and maturity in her acting ability in the past couple years, I, I think, you know, Chrissy Chow deserves to be there um, in, in the ranking. I mean, you've got, mm-hmm. when you've got veterans like Sylvia Chang and Dini Yip, and it's the same people over and over and over every year, do they good? put in really great performances yeah are they showing an amazing amount of growth in their ability as actresses yeah you know i mean are is it more than just the performance that people want to look at i mean do they want do they want to reward you know the idea that somebody's come from being one thing and shown that they can be something else and and kind of you know reward that who knows i don't know but i'm you know, it, it's it's a very narrow field, and it's made more narrow when a handful of people are always getting these choice kind of art house or dramatic performance roles, <clears throat> and they end up being in the roster year after year, right? 
Well, here's the thing. If if the the thing is the the, the reasoning that the the film society uses isn't about growth or, or encouraging the next generation. I mean, if they are, then they wouldn't have given the kurata, right? Um, you know, who's like seventy years old. Um, but the thing is. If they really did give it to Steffi because they want to show her growth, they want to show, you know, um, give it to young people, show next generation, then I really feel sorry for Elaine Kong because um, when she was nominated for um, the weightlifting movie, Love Lifting, mm. they actually went as far as to refuse to give a Best Actress Award that year. And they said as much that they refused to give it to Elaine Kong because um, uh, giving it to her would hurt her because she's too young for it. Yeah, or that she, I remember that. I mean, the thing is, like, like, okay, well, it's not like the the roster had. I mean, that that list, list of critics, you know, that goes to the meeting every year. It's not like that changed a lot. So, why change position? You know, if you were thinking a couple of years ago about you know actors being too young, then then you know hold hold to it. You know, then give it to someone who deserves it. But now, you know, they they want to give it to Steffi. But I I actually agree that if you give it to Chrissy, I would. Not have disagreed because I think that that was a really strong performance. And last year was an interesting year for Chrissy, just like it was an interesting year for Steffi. But did Steffi do better than Chrissy in the empty hands? No, because that script was was honestly quite shallow. Um, and yeah, she put in a really great physical performance. But um, I think it, it, I think the material in Twenty Nine Plus One was better for the actress. And I think Chrissy really did. I mean, Chrissy also came up with just she was looked down on upon just as much as Steffi was. You know, Steffi came up from an idol background. Yeah, she was, you know, put in a lot of crappy movies. Um, and no one took her seriously, even though I always thought that she was a, a decent actress. But, you know, Chrissy also came up from a, de- a similar background. You're know, coming up from a, a model, right? And especially during the Lanmo phase, right? When everyone looked down on Lanmos. Like, even the modeling industry looked down on her. And then she came up as a serious actress and, and I think scored a... a excellent performance in an excellent film um so i i was a bit confused on why it was such like an off uh, i was told it was a pretty like clear cut win hmm. for steffi as well um so uh, i'm a bit confused i i think empty hands was admirable but very very flawed and the film itself it's a, it's missing a third act and it didn't really give steffi um it gives steffi a chance to do melodrama but it's not like anything we haven't seen her do before and here's the thing uh, and I, I, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but it kind of irritates me when you're trying to delineate a 2017 film versus a 2018 film, right? I mean, because they do have uh, again uh, Karina Lau here from In Your Dreams, um, Teresa Mo here from Tomorrow's Another Day, which I, I'm guessing they had what festival play or they had uh, brief screening last year to make the awards for this year. Yeah. But they're not really released until this year for the general public. Right. Um, and isn't, but isn't that the case with the, with Steffi's other movie too, uh, lost in the mist? Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere beyond the mist. Somewhere beyond the mist. Yeah. Last year, uh, Matt Rowe did that. That's why, because Matt Rowe jumped the gun, um, and, and wanted the awards, you know, in 2020, uh, 2017. And that's why this year's crop is such, so bad. Even though people, everyone, most people saw Matt Rowe in 2017, but it was all considered for 2016 awards, um, because they wanted, well, I mean, to its credit, those awards really did help the film at the box office and made it such a hit. But the thing is, people are going to be wondering, well, what the hell happened to Mad World? Um, because no, people generally don't know these eligibility rules and probably, probably think, well, guys, what about Mad World? But last year, they were actually gave it gave the awards to Mad World already last year. Um, so it's just sort of 
weird how many films definitely this year we saw even more films doing playing that rule you know playing that early screening rule to appeal to to film award voters and the film critics and to give them uh the award so that it helps them um when when the time comes uh for the theatrical release um and the thing is um, yeah okay america does it but the thing is they they released the movie in january not in like not until not they don't wait till like march or april right so uh it's a bit different in, in the states um but yeah it's a very weird system and um as long as you know films like mad world benefit from it i don't think we're ever going to see an end to it but it's interesting how the awards all went to films that actually all came out you know in time and didn't play a loophole hmm. um i don't think it's a it's a conscious decision but anyway i mean last year was just a very weird year um i don't think it was a very strong year for hong kong films you know especially since mad world came the year before um here are the eight eight uh recommended films by the society by the way uh, of course god of war yeah love education which somehow qualifies a hong kong film because of you know a bunch of loopholes and technicalities uh the empty hands um for all the herman yao movies they chose um uh always by your side as a recommended film and it's a bit weird uh wukong the Derek kwok film uh uh, because of the allegories uh lost in flames the uh the the documentary i was talking about 29 plus one and paradox which actually wasn't even considered as a as a, as a finalist for any category um so that was a bit weird but um i don't know paul i know you haven't seen empty hands yet but do you, do, you know as a steffi fan uh, uh how do you feel well i mean the the fanboy in me is you know kind of like yay steffi but again i haven't seen the film and it makes me was somewhere beyond the mist in contention with this film, or was, is that not until next year? Then it's eligible. I mean, it had the, the screenings, and you know, in fact, the screening I went to, like I said, ended with a meet and greet section session with uh, Steffi and the director trying to talk to talk to uh, voters about getting votes for Steffi. Um, so they were definitely pushing that film hard. And I think I think everyone thought that if if any movie Steffi was going to win for that one, because you know it's an art artsy film and it's very dark and serious and um everyone thought it was going to be that film i guess um but no it ended up being the empty hands i don't think that's going to repeat in uh in the hong kong film awards because the voters because once again it's a very small circle of just like i think maybe uh less than maybe like 12 people i think mm. because the entire society is invited to the meeting but not most most people don't attend because they don't watch enough hong kong films um, so the mainly the leading members and Kozo, <laughs> you know, show up and you know Kozo actually was uh, he told me that he was actually one of the few one of the people who watched the most number of Hong Kong films and he admits that he actually watched less in recent years because of uh, family family obligations. So that tells you how many Hong Kong films these critics actually watch. Um, so at the end, it's only really a decision of about twelve people, and of course the voter base for Hong Kong Film Awards is much bigger. Um, so it's gonna yield uh, likely yield a very different result. Um, so it's not gonna, it's not like it's not like you know Steffi's already on that stage at the Hong Kong Film Awards ready to accept her award or anything. Um, and uh, but of course with the supporting actress and best actress category separation at the Film Awards, uh, Dini Yip will probably get her day there. Um, so you know, it's it's I guess a good encouragement with Steffi. I always thought that she was a you know, like I said, I always thought she was a decent actress. It's just that the 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 she deserves better material than what she gets most of the time, and that includes the empty hands. Yeah, I think looking over the list, I mean, um, it it's there's still some stuff that I don't know if when I'll get to it. Um, I don't think Love Education 
is available anywhere yet. Um, Lost in the is it Lost in the Flames, uh, the documentary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lost uh, in Flames won't, can't even get like a, a, a normal commercial cinema release, so yeah. let alone a video release, right? Yeah. Um, don't know when I'll see that. Um, I think tomorrow is another day. Just opened in Hong Kong, right? Like. No, yeah, I think it comes out in March. March? I thought I saw. I Jan- think it's not coming. Up. January eighteenth on the poster, so maybe they had they held it back. Um, uh, and... I think that's like early <laughs> screening. They're doing. They've been doing like uh, preview screens the last couple of weeks to you know again get to the voters. Mm. Um, but they've been doing that. Then uh, let's see what's the other one. Um. God of War is already you've seen already. The Korean Allow one has just started, right? Uh, in your dreams. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I hope to get to all of it eventually at some point. Uh, God of War is surprising. Um, it's a good movie. I didn't feel like it was an award-winning movie. Um, I think it's nice that they gave Kuratata an award, though. It it, it feels more like a appreciation award than anything else um because you know he's been in so many movies over the years i don't think he's ever won um for the he's 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 never won like a hong kong film award as if memory serves so i mean i think this is a nice gesture on on behalf of uh, the film critic society and i like the fact that we got to see him actually act in the movie i mean we, it was sync sound they didn't overdub him with a Hong Kong actor, so you got to see him perform, um, which is not something you can always do when you go back and see. I mean, you see him, but you don't hear him in a lot of his you know, older stuff. So I think that's uh, it's a nice nod. I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, again, I haven't seen, like, uh, Teen Zhongzong's role in Love Education or things that might have been more powerful in terms of a performance. Maybe some would say more deserving. Um, who knows? All you know. Um, what is what is in your dreams again? In your dreams is a film with Karina Lau and um, uh, uh, sort of one of those May December romance thing where she falls for or a younger like a high schooler falls for her. Right, so and Sue Hin plays that high schooler. Yeah, and then there's another one um, that's also one that wasn't on any of my lists anywhere. I'm gonna have to add it. Uh, Tomorrow is another day, right? Yeah, that comes out in March, so we won't get to see that. For a so while, another 2018 film, technically. Yeah, yeah. Um, what well, I mean, cre- giving credit where credits due, Kurata was the best thing in God of War. I think. I mean, he was the most dignified actor in that, and the character was actually better handled than most Japanese villains. Um, but it's just the film just isn't very good. I think it's just this whole this reverence that Hong Kong film critics or Hong Kong film award voter has for Gordon Chan. And I don't think the man has done a good film in, in perhaps like, don't even tell me about painted skin. I would not get into painted skin right now. I don't think that man's made a good film in over a decade, honestly. And, uh, how about, uh, Herman's other film, the sleep curse? Have you seen that one yet? No, no, I haven't. Um, I've been, well, I know, you know, me in horror films and I've been hesitant about watching that because, um, the uncut version hasn't been made available, even though I know it's just like a, a difference of maybe 10 seconds or a few mm-hmm. shots. Um, but I've been hesitant to see that um, the, the cut version here in Hong Kong. So I haven't really touched it. But, I, you know, I hear great things. about There is buzz for Michelle Wise work. Um, and, you know, apparently she was quite good in that film. Um, uh, so so I'm not going to question that just yet because I haven't seen the film. Yeah, um, and then um, you've also, I guess, not seen uh, 
the Herman the Herman Yao Troublesome Night movie, right? Uh, no, no, I'll no, always no, by no. your side or always be with you. Yeah, always um, <clears throat> be with you. Um, which is uh, you know, I'm I'm I I like the Troublesome Night series, especially the older uh, original ones. Um, and I'm hopeful that uh, it's as good as I've heard because people have said it's a it's a nice kind of return to form for that series. Um, is it best screenplay worthy? <laughs> There's a head scratcher. I don't know. Uh, so I'll have to come back and report in when, once I've seen that. I'm hopefully going to watch that over the coming week. And so maybe on the next episode I'll come back and say, yes, it definitely deserved to be uh, best screenplay. Or no, they were only charmed by Louis Koo's tan. And uh, that's the only reason it, it got in. Um, so, yeah. Um, Wait, is it out already? I think it's uh, it's out on video, yeah. So, okay, I'll have to check it out then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's streaming anywhere yet. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, uh, was there anything, I mean, we talked about the Dini Yip omission um, in terms of performances. Were there any movies you saw last year um, that you felt best picture, best director, best screenplay that didn't make it on the list? Well, I'm surprised 29 plus 1 wasn't in the finalists. I mean, they gave it to God of War or Empty Hands, but not... 29 plus one i thought that was a very odd odd choice i mean they even make it a finalist for best best screenplay and best director but they're like yeah the directing was good the screenplay was good one of the actresses the lead actress was good film meh like it's, it's you know the criteria for me is just to them it, to me it's how they decide these things it's just very weird but i mean hong kong film critics you know i've always find that a weird bunch you mm. know so can i say so that's why I, I don't like to call myself a film critic in hong kong <laughs> So we have a little bit of news this week, getting back to some actual news news or gossipy news uh, about our beloved Eric Zhang. Um, and he's, if you've been paying attention to the news, of course, the hammer has fallen on uh, a couple of Hong Kong names with regard to the Me Too movement and women coming out and voicing out about, you know, um, inappropriate behavior in the film industry. And we've, I mean... I think if well, the, you've... the one is the, the thing is this one isn't new, but I mean we'll get into the detail. Yeah, uh, it's a it's an old accusation that's kind of resurfaced, and um, th I mean there have been a couple more before this one. You have a bunch being levied at uh, Bay Logan, who, if you've listened to the show for any length of time or follow Hong Kong cinema, you probably know who he is a uh, producer slash sometimes you know he did uh, the subtitling dubbing work. He, he's made a couple cameos in movies over the years, but apparently some of this has bubbled up for him, and he's got connections to, I guess, Harvey Weinstein, and so that's been kind of going on in the gossipy circles of Hong Kong news for a couple of weeks. Um, we probably could also point fingers back at our, you know, the, the, the son of Hong Kong, Jackie Chan, of course. Um, that's very old news, and I'm surprised more hasn't kind of come to the surface on, on that story, but we won't get into that. Um, but Eric Tang, surprising? Well, I don't want to say surprising or not, because this is, a, like I said, it's a uh, resurfacing of an old, old uh, rumor. So uh, there was an actress named Yemi, Yemi Lam. Uh, she was in, actually, the, the Stephen Chow uh, Chinese Odyssey movies. Um, she was fairly big in like, the late 80s, I think, early 90s. Um, and But then she kind of, dropped out of spotlight she suffered from mental illness and i think uh as some media 
interview or something like that she said that she was sexually assaulted by two two big stars uh back in the day uh so to speak um and there was a rumor um that one of them was eric Zhang. uh for some reason you know it's just you know you never know rumors i mean you know in film industry is always a gossipy bunch right um but that you know that was actually uh, uh, debunked, and it went away for a while. But a Chinese uh, fashion blogger or something, Weibo account or whatever, um, uh, actually a real name, uh, a, na- a woman named Grace Han, uh, went and brought up the accusation again recently because of the Me Too movement. Um, and uh, Eric Zhang, who um, has decided to sue the woman for libel uh, or take legal action against her because um of course it's a very damaging accusation um and and we should say that you know eric Zhang hasn't been formally charged or haven't been investigated um and he's 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 vehemently denied these rumors and uh he held a press conference today uh saying that he's gonna hold you know take legal action against a woman for for her words um and he added a very interesting point is that actually he did sue over this rumor i think 10 years ago or back in the early 2000s and actually won the case uh so so he has a very very good good case here and um he is um it, so he wants this woman to take you know legal responsibility for for saying you know for, for spreading very um damaging rumors um, and that's what happened today. He just said that he's going to take legal action and refuse to take any questions because it's now in legal proceedings. Um, and he hopes that it will put a rest to the rumors. Um, and that's about it, actually. And like I said, um, the thing is, he has a very good case and he's very likely to win because he's he's already won a, a, a defamation suitcase uh, over this rumor. So um, and he, of course he also added that he will he will comply with any investigation if there is any over this case. Um, so it definitely looks like Eric Zung is come out swinging against this thing. When the thing with Bay Logan came up, uh, I had a couple discussions with people, and they were you know saying like, well, I, this is kind of par for the course in you know Asia and in Asian cinema. I mean, there's definitely an inequality between genders and how genders are viewed. I mean, you have an entire genre of film here, you know, the the chasing mm-hmm. girl film and the, the films like Men Suddenly in Black, which are all about how to, you know, succeed at cheating. And that's part of, like, being a real man, uh, in a sense. And, and I'll, you know, now these have kind of become tongue-in-cheek, but there's still this idea, you know, that's in the background that, you know, men are men and they're dogs and they're going to do this kind of thing. And maybe things are changing for the better, and hopefully they are. But you still have, you know, a very strong imbalance, I'm sure, when it comes to celebrity pay scale. I mean, not even to get into the whole, um, what is the the money movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams? All um, the money in the world. Yeah. Um, not even to get into the whole that, th- that whole thing where one actor is getting paid uh, millions for a reshoot and, you know, an actress is getting paid basically... Uh, you know, the same price that an extra would get paid <laughs> for doing a reshoot. Um, you know, so that that still is, you know, very much a, a sad state of affairs in, in the industry. Um, but I, I don't know. Do you think you're going to see a lot of changes in Asian cinema with this, Kevin? Or do you think that the Me Too movement is really an uphill battle for women and performers in Asia? No, I, I, I think that the Asian film industry in certain regards, uh, uh, in certain regards, women have a lot of power, but also at the same time, 
um, there it's the big big power hold uh, you know power holders are still men and those men uh, operate they are very powerful I think even more powerful than the studios in Hollywood um, and because you know they have more connections in other industries or in other fields uh, other than because a lot of them are ty- business tycoons they're not the studio bosses they own real estate they want big conglomerates and they run you know they have contacts in the high high places um, so that imbalance of power is still a very big problem. I mean, in Asia, not just in Hong Kong, not just in China, but also in Japan and in and in Korea. You look at how the press in entertainment press in Korea and Japan, how they kowtow to the industry, you know, to the companies, and how little power um, entertainment press actually has in this whole region. I mean, most of the time, uh, to be honest, we're just regurgitating things we're given, and we are always. Um, a bit scared to take on the big companies, um, you know, because you know at least in the states, you know, journalists can band together and and fight back and blah blah. There's no such thing in Hong Kong. There's no such thing in Asia. You 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 mess with a, a big agency, they blacklist you, then you're screwed. So no one dares to blacklist or no one dares to call out anyone. Um, so um, I I don't think. Um, the Me Too movement is going to have much eff- uh, uh, have much legs here, um, unfortunately. Um, but like I said, in some aspects, um, you know, like this year's Golden Horse Awards, three of the three of the five director best director nominees were women, um, and that's more than you can say at the for the than the Academy Awards ever. Um, and that's something to be proud of. I think that we do give voices to female filmmakers. Um, but is it is it does it mean that we're we're doing better in terms of uh, gender gender progress, uh, you know, uh, gender equality progress here in Asia? No, I don't think so. I and unfortunately, the people who hold the power are too powerful. They're too big to they're too big to to fail. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm a bit pessimistic about how the Me Too movement, the Times Up movement, are going to to carry here uh, in 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 Asia. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for our news this week. When we come back after this short musical interlude, we'll be hearing Kevin's review of the Korean uh, CGI spectacular along with the gods. And welcome back. So for our e-screen review this week, Kevin's going to take us along with the gods. Yes. Uh, so this week we're doing a Korean film. We have a couple of Hong Kong films, but I really want to talk about this film, um, especially because it's, it's gotten a uh, release in um, a lot of territories in Singapore, across, across Asia. It's already broken record in, in Taiwan. It's the highest grossing Korean film ever in Taiwan, and that's beating Train to Busan, which was a big hit. Uh, 
it's been a big hit here in Hong Kong, and it's done very well in the, in the states. Even um, it got a date and date release there. Um, I'm not sure if it did elsewhere um, uh, in the West, but anyway, this is a big film. Along the Gods, the Two Worlds, is um, the adaptation of a web comic by Jo Hoo Min. Um, web comics a huge thing in uh, in Korea. Um, I guess because the publishing industry is so big and a lot of the comic illustrators or comic um, creators, they've turned to the web. So you see uh, actually quite a few films based on web comics in, in, in Korea. And a lot of them are sort of, you know, um, veer from the mainstream or has very, you know, interesting topics. Um, and this one is, is, is a very interesting one. Uh, the film is directed by Kim Yong-hwa, who um, made Mr. Go, a.k.a. the film about a gorilla who plays baseball. Um, or the film 200 pound beauty, uh, or takeoff the ski jumping film. Um, I am not a big fan of this director, so <laughs> I was even more surprised at what he's done here. Uh, the film is produced by Dexter studios, which is the uh, special effects company that he, Kim Jong ha founded, um, to make, uh, Mr. Go because that film involves so much, uh, special effects. Um, but anyway, the story, uh, according to the laws of the afterlife, all diseased beings must go through seven trials over 49 days divided into seven sin categories i'm not going to read them all um once the disease cl- the disease uh, clears all seven trials he can be reincarnated and start a new life when firefighter kim ja hong uh, played by um cha de hun dies unexpectedly at the scene of a fire he is taken to purgatory by three afterlife guardians as the first paragon in 19 years paragon being one of those people who, who have a chance of being reincarnated he must go through seven trials over 49 days his journey progresses without a hitch until his brother turns into a vengeful spirit and be- begins attacking the afterlife thereby interrupting jahong's trials through the course of this battle hidden facts surrounding um jahong's and suhong's death are uncovered um and proof of Jia Hong's innocence is now uncertain. Risking their own fate in the afterlife, the three guardians fight to reincarnate both brothers. Uh, so this isn't a good, a typical good versus evil fantasy story. There's no monsters to fight. There's no, you know, ring of power um, to claim. There's no uh, big baddie or big monster. Um, in fact, the, the real enemy here is the Eastern concept of karma. Um, and I think it's very clever um, to to use that approach for a special effects film. It's a bit like What Dreams May Come, right? The film about the the painter or the, the Robin Williams who goes to hell to retrieve his wife after she commits suicide. Um, and, and it plays on that you know kind of concept, you know, karma and the afterlife and the purgatory. Um, but it's not a necessarily an uh, adventure film. I mean, it, the the journey here is very much an introspective one. It's about how this firefighter looks back at his life and how his it's a examined it's a story of an examined life and how when the life is under examination, it turns out much worse than you know. We all seem like good people on the surface, but if we take a take a look at our lives, um, you know what? Who hasn't done uh, a bad thing here and there? Um, and to me, that's a very clever idea that. His life story, this man's life story, is actually his biggest obstacle, and his previous deeds is actually the villain, not not you know the actual afterlife or the special effects monster. Um, so, like I said, the the special effects are completely done in house, so more care seems to have been done for the special effects, and they are excellent. Um, it, it's it's made for about I mean both films add together are made for forty million U.S. dollars. 
Um, so it's very impressive. Uh, most of the thing, most of the films is done in uh, green screen, except for the films set. In, I mean, the scenes set in the human world; those are of course done with you know real, um, well CGI match with real backgrounds. But the film like isn't about CGI monsters. In fact, I would say it's more inspired by. It's really a fable. It's more like a fable that's inspired by "It's a Wonderful Life" or "Christmas Carol." Um, there was a human stories about you know again uh, karma and 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 you know the repercussions of our actions in life. You know we complain about uh, comic book movies and we complain about CGI villains and we complain about CGI aliens. Oh wait, I haven't done my review of Thousand Faces of Dunja, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But you know we always complain about movies of CGI comic book villains or and heroes and all that stuff. But then when a different kind of special effects driven movie arrives. You know, you see Western reviewers dismiss it as, you know, maudlin or melodramatic or just, quote unquote, typically Korean melodrama. I don't I don't get sort of what these people are thinking. You know, you want something new and then something new comes along. Then you just find some other way to dismiss it because, you know, it doesn't match, you know, maybe because it's not it's not Moonlight or because it's not an indie film or it's not. Uh, quote, but it's a, still a very human story. I find it very clever, and I find it um, a game changer. Really, you know, it's a like I said, a special effects film with heart. Um, when I watched it, you know, I I find it's a film that's driven by emotions and characters. Yeah, the CGI looks nice, but ultimately that's sort of the icing on the cake. It actually it's a it's it's an outer wrapping for what's within, and it's a very introspective story about. Um, um, uh, life and 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 characters and about you know the choices we make and it's a real, real really relevant topic uh, so I look at this film and I'm wondering what the hell is what the hell are China Japanese or even Hong Kong filmmakers are doing when they when they have when they have special effects um, budget at their disposal their disposal instead they make Monkey King movies you know it's it to me is just really sad that you know especially that. All these years of expertise and all these years of story, you know, storytelling foundation that we built, and you know, Korea's film industry—they've had a film industry, but it didn't really rise until the last twenty years. And they made, they have, you know, in the last twenty years, they made, they—they've come up leaps and bounds. You know, they—they they have made significant um, uh, improvements to not just not just the special effects or production value, but also in storytelling. It's an incredibly clever film and it's very written very well. It's really well constructed. Um, to me, there's a CGI movie of a soul. Yeah, sure. It's melodramatic, but you know, at least like I said, it's not a film with ring of power or bull demons or, you know, crappy special effects or CGI aliens. It's not the old, same old spectacle formula. Um, I was watching Legend of Demon Cat last week, and you know that was just an empty detective story with Chen Kage just flowing as throwing in as much flair as possible to to distract you. That is essentially a radio play. Um, so I'm really I really admire what what um, Kinyawa has has pulled off here. Um, with that said, there are flaws. I mean, the film is two hours and twenty minutes long, so it's quite long for a two part film. Um, the story meanders a bit because it shows all seven trials, and the firefighter character is actually pretty weak because you know he's just sort of getting taken along for a ride. He doesn't really do anything because he's sitting standing there at the trials, and the three guardians are actually the main characters of the film because they have the main motivation to. They have the motivation. They're the one that's acting. Whereas, whereas you know your central character, the firefighter, he's just sort of the passive one, waiting for judgment. He doesn't have to do anything. 
Um, so he is he's sort of a bit uh, a bit weak. Uh, but the free guardians who play Hajun Wu, um, uh, the free actors. Uh, let me look it up real quick. Um, Hajun Wu, uh, uh, Ju Ji Hoon, and Kim Hang Gi, the the free guardians. They're really good, and they are going to be the star of the second film as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how how they their their story continues. Um, but ultimately, it is very entertaining, and the ending, yeah, it's a bit much like um, I think I might review a film called Ode to My Father here in the show, and I said the ending is pretty much like um, SWAT team coming in and dropping tear gas in the theater because that it has that kind of effect, and there's a bit of that at the ending. Uh, it's really heavy, and and you hear a lot of sniffling, and it is very tear jerking. Um, but at the end, it is touching. It is cleverly constructed, and it's very constructed cleverly, cleverly to make you cry. They have set up enough things that when it comes, you're like, "Oh, damn it! I fell for it," you know. And then you just like teary, like, "Oh, I fell for it! I can't believe it." Um, so it has, it has that kind of effect, and it's very well, it is very well put together. Um, so the first part wraps up the story in some way. It, it does have an ending, but then it also comes. It also ends on a cliffhanger because we know it's a two-part film. Um, so it sets up a very interesting ride for the second film. Um, the sort of post-credit teaser already, already shows um, Don Lee, the, um, the big enforcer guy from Train to Busan. He's going to be a key character in the second film, although we don't know how yet. Uh, so that's very exciting. And of course, you want to see the free guardians, you know, continue the journey and, 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 and see how they, whether, because the whole film, the, the story, um, the free guardians are working so hard because if they can reincarnate 49 people, then they themselves can be reincarnated as well. So that's their motivation for working so hard to get this firefighter, um, uh, um, who is the 48th person for them, by the way, to make sure he gets reincarnated. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they they um, they, they finish that story because, you know, the ultimate goal is to see these three uh, finish the test and reincarnate enough souls that so they can get reincarnated to the real world. Um, uh, so I'd like to see whether they would just repeat the formula or how they're going to progress the story in part two. I hope the second film won't be more of the same, but um, I really, really look forward to see where the story goes from here. Um, so if if you know you're a bit more open-minded and you're not so dismissive of quote-unquote Korean melodrama, um, if you do go in hoping to see a a big entertaining film that's a bit different from the usual CGI films, I highly recommend Along with the Gods. So I mean, you said they do all seven trials in this <clears throat> film, right? Yeah. So if they don't end on like halfway through the fourth trial. What's to do in the next film? Well, because remember, the, the film isn't just about the firefighter. It's, all, it's also about his brother. And his brother, his brother's death in the real world actually plays a huge, huge role in, in the, 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 the journey here. Um, um, so without spoiling much, I would just say the story doesn't... It ends, but it doesn't quite end. You know, it, it goes on. There is more to the story than what... It, it, the ending is more like a stage you know if we have a tv show right then the ending is like an episode like it resolves certain things but of course it leaves certain things unresolved and you know they leave enough uh they leave enough whatchamacallit um unresolved storylines that there is a second film there is enough for a second film it's just i don't know what they're going to do in that second film uh because it sort of ends on this on this path where it, they could just be repeating the whole thing all over again, or or they could do other things with it. I, I'm so that's why I'm so interested to see how they change the formula in the second film. 
So do you know about the release for this? Is this um, international theatrical release now, or is it planned for some uh, streaming platforms at all, or waiting for video? Well, Welco has the rights in the States, so they've been doing the release, and it's been very successful for them. So, you know, if you know Welco's release patterns, I think they will have it on iTunes in a few months. Um, I'm sure, because the second film comes out this summer, so they're definitely going to have that on a streaming platform before the summer, uh, before the second film comes out. Uh, that's for sure, if they do want the second film to do well. Um, so expect to see it, at least in North America, that way, um, and probably the rest of Asia. I'm not sure about the rest of the world. And welcome back. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, a quick last-minute slot entry with a review here of Netflix's new Godzilla film. Uh, I think we mentioned on the last episode that this film actually premiered theatrically last year in Japan, I think around sometime around November, and it was slated for um, uh, international platform release uh, across, I guess, multiple, you know, all, all Netflix stations. I don't know if it's on Netflix Hong Kong. Um, but I would think so, um, for this release, uh, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. And it dropped early this morning, and I was up and I uh, rapidly consumed it so I could talk about it here. Um, this is coming from a pair duo of directors. Let me get their names up. Um, Shizuno Kobun and uh, Sashita Hiroyuki. Uh, some may know Shizuno Kobun. He's done most of the Detective Conan theatrical releases, the anime theatrical releases for that character uh, over the past years. That's primarily what he's known for. Um, this, I think, is his sort of first association with the, the Godzilla franchise. This is a CGI 3D uh, anime rendered or cartoon rendered film. So if you're familiar with the look and style of some of the Appleseed movies, um, sometimes you'll see this in, you know, this kind of style in cutscenes on video games um, as well. It's, you know, it doesn't appeal to a lot of traditional anime fans because it has sort of a 3D modeled look, but it has the anime cell colored skins on top of everything. Um, and they intermix this also with a lot of uh, sort of CGI-looking devices, but again, they skin those too. So it's a lot of the technology, some of the uh, bikes, uh, flying bikes and mechs that they use in this um, also have that look. So from a design aspect, it may not appeal um, to everybody. But let me get into the story a little bit, and then I'll talk about some of the pros and cons. So in the 21st century, when many kaiju arise to plague planet Earth, the human race, along with uh, the arrival of two alien races, uh, attempt to stop them, the kaiju, from destroying the planet. They are no match, however, for the king of monsters, Godzilla, ultimately being forced to flee the planet in search of a habitable uh, location elsewhere. Um, the, the three races 
form together this mass exodus. Um, but when problems with the exodus force them back to Earth some millennia later, they only find Godzilla still around and waiting. Um, so, yeah, this is very much a future sci-fi version of Godzilla, um, which sets it apart from pretty much all of the Godzilla movies, um, which are set kind of in a contemporary era, which is interesting because it starts out when the kaiju initially arrives, it starts out kind of in, in the present day, and it makes a lot of fan references. Um, and this pretty much happens right in the initial opening credits. You see fan references to a lot of monster foes over the years like Hedera and others. Um, and then, of course, Godzilla. And the, the, the Godzilla that they make here, the Godzilla that they reference is interesting, too, because um, in some of the initial frames, he looks akin to the, uh, the legendary pictures Godzilla at sometimes from a couple years ago. And uh, other times um, when you see him later, he's evolved a bit more and he looks like he's been on metallic steroids for a few thousand years. So um, I'll talk a little bit more about his design, but that design may turn some people off. But uh, there's a lot of fan service going on here. Um, but there's still some very traditional elements that you'll see uh, from pretty much any Godzilla movie. And even some of the bickering amongst sort of the old council of elders that they have on this ship uh, who are controlling things, um, it's still kind of in some ways representative of Shin Godzilla and some of the political bickering that was, um, you know, going on between sort of the old guys and the new, young, and sort of up-and-comers. That's present here as well. So... It looks like it's making a lot of nods in very different directions. Um, overall, though, it's, you know, a pretty solid yet average entry into the Godzilla franchise. Um, the main character, I think, his name is uh, Hario. He's a very young, idealistic, handsome captain um, in this uh, space exodus force. And he was very young when they left Earth, and he saw the transports with his parents get killed by Godzilla and so he's now out for revenge right very typical Godzilla kind of plot device now you're probably gonna ask me wait a minute Paul you said that they left Earth in the 21st century and it's millennia later how is this guy still alive well this is because of light speed and the laws of you know relativity I guess so because they're traveling in outer space at light speed to find a new place, and then they have to return back in a super sort of light speed jump. Um, you know, close to 20,000 years have passed on Earth um, since the humans and these aliens who are helping them have left. But it's pretty much still the initial expeditionary force, right? They've only been in space for about 30 years or so, I guess. But in that time, because of their hyperdrive or whatever, they've actually been away from Earth for. Um, many millennia. They're not even sure how long because of the way the, the the drive works. When they get back, they actually have to do some carbon dating and they find out, oh, we've been gone for 20,000 years. Um, but Godzilla's still there. So there's a mystery as to, you know, what's going on and how he could survive and how they're going to defeat him. Um, so in some ways, it kind of feels like um, some of the sci-fi movies of late. I think there's a series called The 100. Um, do you remember the Will Smith movie, Kevin? where um, it's like Jaden Smith returns to planet Earth 
and <laughs> it was really bad. Um, but it's after that, Earth. After Earth, yeah. It's, so it's got very much kind of that after Earth vibe. You know, the Earth has been kind of taken back over by nature, only because Godzilla's there as this force. Nature has evolved very differently. Um, so it's a very sort of hostile world, and so the characters are coming down, and it's interesting because again, you know, there it's a very lim- this is the last bastion of humanity. It's a very limited, limited expeditionary force that left Earth with you know only a few hundred humans, a few hundred aliens, you know, all work kind of working together. So when they start fighting Godzilla again, and you know, you see people start dying, there is this sense of Okay, these you know these guys are kind of running out of resources pretty quick, um, but beyond that, I mean, the main character, as I said, he's very typical sort of anime, young, idealistic, angry main character hero, right? Um, he's you know he knows what needs to be done. People won't listen to him. Uh, he's going to go do it himself. That kind of a thing. Um, that's very standard for anime, and for me, he comes across as kind of less than interesting. Now, this is the first in a series of three films that's being done by Netflix. They're released as episodes. Um, when you look at the Netflix page, page this is episode one um, called Planet of the Monsters. I guess all three films will be just under the Godzilla title, but it's a full kind of 90-minute length movie. Um, as I said, lots of standard G-movie moments. You've got a brief reference to Mechagodzilla that I'm sure is going to come back into play at some point. You've got uh, angry general guys and other guys yelling at Godzilla, you know, just like they do in the old, you know, Godzilla movies when they're kind of facing off a human versus Godzilla. Um, The dropship designs are kind of reminiscent of some of the old sort of uh, SDF vehicles, I think, in like the 84 Godzilla movies. Um, The aliens here, so you actually have aliens again. Um, which is always one of my favorite things. Uh, they don't look like monkeys, uh, and they're actually kind of helpful. They're trying to help the humans because they see the Earth as a very valuable planetary resource because of oxygen and water. And when you're traveling in space, you know, it's like people are starving and there's limited quantities of water and recycled air and this kind of thing. So for them, the Earth is like this very valuable planet, and they want to help save it. Um, so you've got this race called the Exif, who are sort of the they're uh, kind of they set up the religious base i guess for the group and they kind of look like very tall elves um then you've got this other alien group called the um uh, saludo and they are a bit more like a warrior race um kind of like a bit more stout not as short as uh say uh middle earth dwarves but you know, you, you get there's there's a distinct difference between them and the exif and then you've got the humans in the middle and they're all trying to work together to to solve their Godzilla problem. One of the things I think that really stood out for me, though, as a Godzilla fan was the music. There's no traditional Godzilla music here. You don't get the Godzilla march that we all know and love. Not even, I mean, little hints of it in the score. It's pretty much its own music here. So that's a little bit disappointing, I would say. Maybe that's something they can improve on um, on the movies to come. I know there are rights issues involved with that um but you know even a little bit more of a tapping into a few of the traditional marches would be good uh the godzilla design now godzilla is a big cgi object um much in the way that in 
the last movie, Shin Godzilla, he was kind of a big CGI object at times, and that was something that rubbed fans uh, the wrong way. Um, Godzilla's design for many fans is almost sacred in some ways, and some fans have, you know, favorite periods for a Godzilla design that they really gravitate towards. Um, here, uh, the Godzilla, as we see him, especially when they return to the planet and some, you know, uh, 20 millennia later, you've got, he's big, he's bulky, um, he's metallic looking. And part of that's by design. They get into some of the scientific reason why. I mean, some of the plants um, have somehow gotten metallic and they're very sharp. And um, it has something to do with the way Godzilla's affected the environment and some of the other creatures that they encounter too are this are this way part of me looks at it and goes well as a cgi modeler it's easier to skin something that looks kind of hard and metal than it is to do other things um i don't necessarily think it's you know them taking a shortcut with it but you never know um because it does kind he does look bulky and he looks solid and hard um kind of like Again, as the the thing that came to mind was if somebody took the normal Godzilla, put him on steroids, and gave him sort of a metallic-looking outer skin. Um, I still think he looks better than the Godzilla design in Shin Godzilla, but that's just me. Um, it's not my favorite design that they have of him here. It's sometimes um, the way they ha have his sort of teeth, it's all like one one unit. You know, his mouth, his teeth, it's all like one big metal kind of looking unit. You don't get that many looks at him until uh, later in the film. But overall, I you know, it's still Godzilla in, in, in a sense. Um, and, you know, he still does the Godzilla things that you expect him to do. Um, there's a bit of a twist at the end, which I won't talk more about here, um, which, again, sets things up for uh, stuff to come, uh, much, I guess, in the same way that uh, Kevin's movie Along with the Gods does. Because you know there's going to be more to the story. So this is a complete story in a way. Um, it doesn't necessarily end on a big, oh, what's going to happen next cliffhanger? But it does kind of end without the story being completely resolved. So um, there's more to be seen. Um, and if you are watching this, you do have to wait or forward through the credits because there is an end credit scene which is kind of significant. Not a lot happens there, but it does, again, set the stage, set the intro for uh, what's going to come next. So be sure that you stay through to the end and, and see that. Um, and, and that looks like it's, again, going in some interesting territory. If what they seem to be kind of alluding to, um, you know, maybe with other kind of kaiju culture, um, and, that, and that's all I'll say uh, about that. But um, overall, it's entertaining. It's pretty short. Again, it's about right around 90 minutes, so it's not a huge commitment of time. I think a lot of Godzilla fans will enjoy it. They may not love it. I don't think they'll hate it. I don't think it'll be as divisive as um, the Shin Godzilla movie. And I don't think it's meant to be. It's pretty, I mean, cut and dry anime as it as things go. It's you know, uh, a lot of the standard tropes you've seen, some action sequences thrown in, and Godzilla, and there you have it. So if you're a Godzilla fan, you're probably not going to even need a recommendation. But if you were somebody looking to um, get into Godzilla and you just can't get into the old 
sort of Heisei era suits and those kinds of things, um, you know, give this a try because, you know, the anime aspect of it may push that um, old suit wearing aspect, if that was something that was a turnoff for you, that that may push all that aside and you might well get into this story. And it's going to be a three-parter, so we've got more of the story to go. Kevin, gonna, I know you're a big fan of Shin Godzilla for hmm. reasons that we've gone into. Um, but in terms of Godzilla as a whole, for sort of very standard sci-fi, big monster, explosions, aliens, Godzilla, does that appeal to you at all? Eh, I don't know. I mean, my queue for Netflix is so long that you know it's hard for me to fit in <laughs> anime, but... You know, I haven't seen... There hasn't been that many animated versions of Godzilla, hasn't there been, right? Yeah, there's... So. there's um, Of course, there's the, the classic Saturday morning cartoon one. From the depths, 30 stories high, That was a blast from the past that I think most Godzilla fans probably don't want to remember. <laughs> it's very Americanized. Um, kind of, it was basically Scooby Doo with Godzilla. <laughs> I mean, Godzilla, the the the, the Scooby Doo gang—they don't have a van; they have a boat, as I remember. And they go around and they do scientific exploration, and then they get in trouble, and they call Godzilla. And, you know, Godzuki's there, and Godzuki's got wings under his arms so he could kind of fly, and it was just weird for the oh, day. Um, but, Why? You know, yeah. I mean, Godzilla's been around. I mean, Godzilla, for those who read comics, you know, Marvel Comics had the rights for a while, and I think he had like a 20-episode run where he fought the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, and uh, he battled a Shogun warrior in the Marvel Universe at one point, uh, you know. Devil Dinosaur, I think. Uh, he He's, you know, Godzilla's been around in so many forms that it's, you know, it's hard to take a property that people know in so many different iterations and get everything right. You just can't do it. Um, that's why some people, I think, love Shin Godzilla, and other people are just like, oh, that's not my Godzilla. And I think, you know, for some, they'll look at this and go, eh, I don't like that cartoon-rendered stuff, and I don't like the way they made Godzilla look like a uh, a metal sumo wrestler. But, you know, I think other people will be like, hey, more Godzilla, that's good, and I like it, and thank you, Netflix. So, Man, I'm, I'm going to go spend some time to look up that Scooby-Doo Godzilla instead of this one. <laughs> I mean, forget it. <laughs> no, I, I, it sounds interesting, and the whole, you know, it's cool because, you know, you animation allows you to do things that you can't afford to do in live action, and uh, it sounds like they certainly have done that here, and... Uh, uh, I'd be, I might be interested to check it out. Maybe not at the moment because you said there's, there are like two more films coming and they're not coming until next two years. So I have plenty of time to catch up, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't even think there's a release date for the second movie. It just said sometime in 2018. So I would expect maybe the soonest we'd see it is summer, and the latest we could might see it is like maybe December, and then. You know, if or if they do what they did with this, they do like a November Japan release. Netflix may not even see it until January again of 2019, which would push the final one a year off, you know, then too. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, maybe they'll have a quicker release dates or it'll be that spread out. We'll just have to wait and see. 
for listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Researchers come from a variety of sources, but primarily the lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via our website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can talk with us on Twitter at Congcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, please do follow Kevin and all that he's doing uh, when he's uh, moving and shaking. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? Uh, you can find me uh, on the Discovery Magazine and on Silk Road Magazine on Cathay Drag oh well, on Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragon Airlines. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Um, I am uh, also well. I also kind of once in a while run a website called Asia and Cinema. I apologize. I have just been completely. You know, my schedule is just completely like, like. I'm just drowning in work. Um, and so, so I haven't run it in a while. I haven't updated. Well, the Facebook page still exists. And, of course, the page, the website exists. is asiaincinema.com. Um, you can uh, email me at kevin at asiaincinema.com. Uh, am I missing anything? I think that's about it. Yeah, there it is. All right. As always, uh, do check out our friends over at the Podcast on Fire Network as well. Our next show, episode 247. What do you think you'll be talking about then, sir? Uh, well, there are a couple choices. We can even talk about the Chinese remake of Namia, or the, which is the Chinese film. Um, or we can talk about films that I watched last couple of weeks, Legend of Demon Cat, still on the, or or Thousand Faces of Dunja. I think we're a bit too late for that one. So it's either so the two Emperor films, one or two Emperor. Oh, of course, there's actually a ton of Hong Kong films coming out this week. There's also uh, Be, Be Calm and or what's stay calm and be a superstar the new Ethan Chan film or we can talk about Leon Lai's Wine War which I have a feeling that I will have a lot of fun with because it looks terrible mm. alright well we'll have something uh, to talk about all of that and more on our next show until then this is the East Green West Green podcast saying we wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody